Well, hey, good morning, church. Can we clap? It's good to be in God's house. Clap. Man, I, I tell you what, uh, every single week that we gather, and I wanted just a shout out to welcome to everyone who's joining us online, and this has been a season of learning for us, and, and uh, obviously many of you know that we broadcast our services. We started broadcasting them live just about a week or two ago, and uh, it's exciting. There's people online watching right now, some who are unable to be here, some who are farther away, uh, but can we just show them some love, everyone who's watching online? Let's clap for them. And I do want you to know as a family, we're going to work um, in the weeks to come to gather more people together, still maintaining the prerequisites and the policies that we put in place, but gathering more people together. I, man, it's just important that we're together as a family, and uh, God does something unique in the gathering together of the saints. It says in Hebrews 10, um, do not forsake the gathering as some are in the habit of doing, um, evermore recognizing the return of Christ. There's a season we're in, and we need to gather together because it's significant. Just because you don't see the significance does not mean it's insignificant. Sometimes just because we don't see it, we give no weight to it. But there is power in the gathering together of the people of God. Can you say amen? Last week we started a, a series and um, I'm excited today because I want to talk to you like family. Is that all right? I feel like I talk to you family like family every week because you are family, you're spiritual family. But um, today I, I want to talk to you a bit differently. I want to talk to you maybe more casually. I have a lot written down, which is always problematic for me. But um, last week we started a series, um, a kingdom series that we're calling it just kingdom. And uh, today will be week two of that. Before we jump right in, um, I did want to make an announcement to those present and those who are able to join us. We have a college preview day um, at 1.30 today. Um, um, in our growth track space here at the Mullica Hill campus. Um, if you'd love to be a part of that, I'd encourage you to be a part of it. Some of you are like, college courses, are you crazy? But I just really believe that it's in the equipping of the saints and being able to grow you and challenge you in your knowledge of God that will empower you and strengthen you in the calling that he has before you. And so if you are interested in being part of that today, um, we'd love to have you. I'm never that smooth of making public service announcements in the middle of my message. That's as smooth as it's going to get, okay? And so, was that all right? That's pretty smooth. It was pretty good. So you're like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Get on to the preaching. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. This is where it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Some of you love eating and drinking, but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of that, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. Now, I want to I say this statement just so you can better understand the dynamic um, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God here on earth is wherever God has been freely given reign and authority by your free will. I need you to understand this because some of you are like, wait, doesn't he, isn't he sovereign and powerful and almighty? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he's also in his nature a gentleman to allow you to choose him or deny him doesn't force you some of you feel like you're forced to church you feel like you're forced to do things but in following Jesus you get to choose like he says choose me or don't choose me but it's your choice and so the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven here on earth is actually the place where you give God rule and reign so when I first started following Jesus, like I would tell people that he was Lord of my life, but he just wasn't Lord of my finances yet. And he wasn't Lord of my relationships yet. He was only Lord of my salvation because I just wanted to know if I died that I'd go to heaven. Well, he really wasn't Lord of my life. He was just 
only Lord and King in some areas of my life. And I think along the journey for many of us, especially in America, we have, we have expressed him as king of our life, but we've only permitted him to have authority and reign in certain areas. <laughs> but he will have authority and he will rule and he will reign in the areas that you surrender to him. The kingdom of man is wherever God has been rejected or ignored. Now, many of you, that seems harsh. It's like, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not ignoring or rejecting God, but a lot of times it's in our apathy towards Him. It's in the decisions that we make and the way we go through life. You may not admit to rejecting God, but by the way you process and go through life, you're saying to God, God, I don't really need you on this one. I can do this by myself. I got it figured out. I can analyze it, process it, quantify it. I can use past experiences. I can do it. God, I don't even need to pray to you about this one. This is an easy one for me. It's in those seasons that we need to be more aware than any other time that we need God in all seasons. When you reject God, that is the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Did you read it last week? Did you do your homework? Some of you did. How about we stand for everyone that did their homework last week and actually read Ephesians 6. I'm just kidding. We don't deal, with, deal in guilt here. But um, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your parents. It's not against your boss. It's not against your spouse. It's not against, you know, your siblings, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents. It's not against them. It's against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a spiritual kingdom that we're part of. Spiritual kingdom. And not just a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom. An eternal kingdom, one that will last forever. It will endure forever. Now, this kingdom, much like every other kingdom, is is established on basic foundational truths. There is a king in our kingdom, and his name is Jesus. There is a um, constitution. It is the written word of God. <laughs> there are citizens in this kingdom. They are citizens who have been born again or born of the Spirit. Um, they are sons and daughters of God, citizens of heaven, as the Bible describes. And just like other kingdoms, this kingdom has an adversary. It has an enemy. But this kingdom stands set apart. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. And in order for us to be effective in this kingdom of heaven here on earth, we need to recognize we're part of an eternal kingdom. Like it doesn't end. And it's hard for us, quite frankly, to figure that out and to comprehend it in our mind because there's certain seasons of our life that, that man, we just think like we have all the time in the world. We, we you know, can kind of just sit back and do what we desire and it's, it's, it's all good. But this kingdom that we are part of um, is an eternal one. We have a moment here on earth, but we are part of, eternal, of, of an eternal kingdom. And I just really believe that in, unless you can, can meditate on that, unless you take time to, to process that so it gets from here to here, 
things won't change in your life. Your attitude towards the house of God won't change. Your attitude towards one another won't change unless you understand that this is an eternal thing that we are part of. This kingdom is not just the momentary things of what's happening here at True North. It's a bigger picture, a grander picture, an eternal picture of the kingdom of God. And in order for us to really understand how to be a citizen of this kingdom, we really need to be kind of refined in the way we understand what it means to be kingdom-minded. Now, I, I really believe, as, as, as the Bible teaches us, that we're a spiritual family. And um, it's hard for me sometimes because in our family there is dysfunction. Do you have dysfunction in your family? <laughs> you don't have to say yes. I already know you do, you know. But it's out of our own humanity and the sin in our humanity. Fear is evident. Anxiety and stress. Insecurity is prevalent. Um, All of these things are prevalent in our humanity, in our family, but God's called us together. He's called us together. He's called us, actually, the Bible teaches us as the ecclesia, the chosen ones or the called out ones out of the world, set apart. Christ's prayer to the Father in heaven is that we would not be taken out of the world, that we would remain in the world, but not of the world. But though in the world, we would be the salt and the light in the world. You notice how people respond sometimes. They're like, oh, but you can't be around. I remember for me when, when I was in college and I was, I was wrestling first and then playing football and I, and I had the, the worst job who um, at the time was the best job bouncing at a club one time. And I remember saying to my father, Dad, I'm witnessing to people, you know. It's the furthest thing from the truth. And my father was very simple what he would say to me. He said, son, that's fine. You can convince yourself you're doing something good. He says, but poor company corrupts good character. And the more you, the more you hang around people that are not honoring to God and don't acknowledge that they're part of the kingdom of heaven, the more you lose your effectiveness, or as Christ describes, your saltiness to impact them to become citizens of heaven like you are. So we don't pray to God, God, take us out of the world, they're so evil. No, Christ prayed, don't move them out of it, take them in it, but let them not be of it. Let them change, be change agents in their their job and in their relationships with family and friends. And there is this, this teaching or this concept in some people's eyes that in order to be powerful and effective and good disciples of God, that we need to isolate ourselves from the world. How are we impacting those to who we're called to impact if we pull ourselves out of the very thing that God's called us to reach? And there's a process in it. There's a sanctification in it. There's this ongoing refinement in it of knowing that at times when you first come to Jesus, you're like, man, I have this figured out. (laughs) And then a few months in, you're like, man, I I feel lost. And then a few years in, you're like, man, I think I know a very little. And then a few decades go by, and you're like, man, all I know (laughs) is that Jesus loves me. And this I know, for the Bible tells me so. (laughs) Sometimes it's just boiling it down to the most simple of things. There are, I believe, prerequisites or foundational truths that help us be kingdom-minded people. And it's important for us to know this. The first thing is this. In order for us to be part of a kingdom of heaven or citizen of heaven, 
We, we have to surrender our life to Jesus. Can't build the kingdom of God unless I'm part of the kingdom of God. And you hear us often talk about salvation here at True North. We won't apologize for that. We, won't, we will never suggest that it's a redundant thing that we do at the end of service. It is the essence of what we're called to do as believers is to proclaim the gospel, to introduce people to Jesus and disciple them to become fully devoted followers. The very call to the disciples was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the, 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 the prime, what do you say? It is the main course of what we carry. It is not a, a side dish as believers. It is the main course, Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. This is the good news of salvation that we bring to people who are broken and hurting in a lost world. Can you say amen? To build the kingdom of God, you first have to be part of the kingdom of God. This is done through surrendering your life to Jesus. We know in Ephesians 2.8, it says, by grace through faith we are saved. So no one can boast of works, meaning that you can't earn it, you can't work towards it. It is by grace that you receive it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth, there's power in confession. We know it says in Scripture that life and death is in the tongue, that there's power in our words. And the Scriptures declare that if we confess our need of Jesus, acknowledge who He is, we shall be saved. It says the old is gone and the new has come. And it describes it in one way. Nicodemus is in a conversation with Jesus and he says, I just, I have a question. Um, and this is one of those questions where you're thinking it, but you don't want to ask it because you're like, oh, this is, if this isn't what he means, this is stupid. But he's like, um, how does like, someone pass through the womb of their mother a second time? And he's like, I wish I was there for that one. That would have been a good one. He's like, Nick, no, 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 no. It's a spiritual birth. It's not a physical birth. It is a spiritual rebirth to be born again, born of the Spirit. And that is primary. You need to surrender your life, confess your need of Jesus. And the Bible says you are now a recipient of the righteousness of Christ, a child of God, chosen, set apart, a part of this spiritual family that, that the Bible describes in its word, ecclesia, the called out ones. You are a child and ambassador of Jesus Christ. And I need you to hear this. Righteousness, that righteousness that you stand in, before God in heaven on the day of judgment, that righteousness that you have is not a condition that you achieve in your human effort. It's like, oh, I'm righteous. Why? Well, you, I'll tell you why, Pastor. I get up every morning, you know, and I have a few cups of coffee, but then I pray, you know, and then I read and I study and I do this, and then I mentor this person, this person, this person. I read this, I do this. I'm in church early every week. I go to multiple services. I'm in a crew. I do this. I serve. I give. I'm generous. I love people, even those who don't love me, you know, and you go through all of these things. That's not why you're righteous. It's not why you're righteous so hard for us to get this through our heads because we want to tell ourselves that I'm worthy of standing before God, but we are not worthy. He is worthy. And he took our place because we are unworthy. And he made a way where there was no other way. It's not a condition of human effort. It is a position that God places upon us when we surrender our hope and our faith and our trust to Jesus. We need to get this in our spirit. Some of us continue to strive to to make God love you more. Or God, man, I, I have this problem and I need you to fix it. Until I fix it, then God will love me. No, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you still were far apart from God, 
apathetic to God. God's not important. I don't see why God's important. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Even while you couldn't figure it out, God still loved you and went to the cross for you. Even while you were still self-righteous and said, no, God, I need this. God, we need this. We need to do that. We need to do this. No, this is the focus. No, this is the... Even when you thought you knew better than God, God still chose to love you. <laughs> says we can't wrap our head around it because our love is so transactional. You do this, I will love you. You don't do this, I won't love you. And we, we go through this life not knowing how to receive that which God has given us through the cross and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But righteousness is not a condition that you achieve through human effort. When you stand in the righteousness of Jesus, you are a son of God. The second foundational principle is understanding that now that I'm a child of God, I am committed to expanding the tents of the family of God. I'm committing to, to pushing the tent pegs back and wider so that more people can be part of the family of God. You know, I, I don't know how many of you know about my family uh, background, but my father is one of 11. I'm one of eight. And the, he, I don't know, 25 or 26 grandkids in our family alone. And we're part of a big family. And, and um, maybe that's why it just seems there's so much dysfunction because there's just so many of us. But... Um, God chose the family. <laughs> like, I just find it fascinating that in our humanity, we think that isolation from that which he's called us to will produce a greater righteousness in us. Sometimes God calls us to family because it's within family where God refines us. It's where God teaches us things that cannot be taught anywhere else. And just like the prodigal son, he tells his father that, Dad, I, I, I need to do what I need to do to find myself. I'm, give me what is owed to me. And then you find out that what you walked from was the very thing you needed, but you don't know it in the moment. So that which was given as a gift is seen as an oppression or irrelevant or imposing on what I desire. How many times did you want to tell your parents growing up, I'm not part of this family anymore? You know? like, I don't want to be part of it. I'm out. Like, go ahead, where are you going? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going somewhere. I just want to be here. But you can't. You have to stay. You either have to get better or you get bitter. And sometimes in church, the greatest danger is convincing yourself that you have the permission just to go wherever you want and sometimes the thing you run from is the very healing that you need. Like, I, I, listen, I'll just to be really honest, I, I've been raised in church and church it can sometimes be a mess of a place in leadership, in stewardship, in relationships. It can be bad, as bad as bad can be. People say, see, that's the church. I say, no, see, that's sin and it's in our humanity. Christ will return for the church. And he doesn't describe it as a dirty church, but as a spotless one. But it's not because of our efforts to make it that way, but it was because of the finished work of Jesus that made it that way. And so we stand in his finished work of his righteousness and remind ourselves of how much we need God, not how good we are in what we strive to accomplish in our own strength. He calls us to a family. He calls us to a family. And Sometimes in the family, 
dynamic as being part of the church. People will get up and they say, you know what? I just don't like it. There's not enough people like me here. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I, I never forget the environments. Do you ever feel like you remember the environments where you feel like you don't belong? You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Anyone. Can someone just raise their hand and they just, thank you. Okay. Um, where you, maybe it's a sports thing and you show up and you're like, man, everyone else is so much better than me. Um, and I just don't feel like I belong. Maybe other people feel more spiritual, more educated than me, or maybe financially they're better. And I just feel like, man, I just don't belong here. One of the, one of the responses in our flesh is to find a place where we feel, feel, feel most comfortable. Feelings are great servants, but horrible masters. And when you start to live a life according to your feelings, it'll lead you places you never wanted to go. And so in the church dynamic, we've also developed this thing of, all right, I need to spread the gospel. I need to proclaim the gospel. But in the process of proclaiming the gospel to people, we often neglect the internal struggle that we ourselves are dealing with. And so there is this, this, this dynamic of two things happening at the same time. And often we don't realize how God is purifying and dealing with our internal battles and struggles all the while as we surrender and serve God. But can I tell you something? God can do more than... Um, he can do multiple things at the same time. So he can refine your internal struggles and at the same time use you in your imperfection. And he can do it in a way that you never thought he could. And so God does all of these things at the same time, but sometimes we often respond to what we think is external things that make us feel bad, but really it's an internal battle that we're dealing with and we don't know how to solve it and we've convinced ourselves that if I just leave the marriage, if I just leave the job, if I just leave the church, if I just get up and go, it will all be fixed. Well, guess what? Wherever you go, you are still there. You can't run from a broken spirit. It's still in you. And so sometimes the place that God is stirring you up and causing you to want to run is a place that you just need to stand and stand firm and say, God, do in me what you need to do in me in those seasons. Amen? And it's in those seasons that God actually leads you to a place to have a powerful testimony. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, they, speaking of the church, they triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, that's the finished work of Jesus Christ, and by the word of your neighbor's testimony. No, it doesn't say that. It says by your testimony, by your story, by your experience. And you know one of the lies? I want to say this to everyone who's watching, everyone here is today. If you don't think your story has power, you're living a lie, believing a lie. And I don't even need to know your story. If you are in Christ, that redemptive process of you going from serving yourself to serving the kingdom, to being part of the kingdom of heaven and being a servant of the Most High, that in and of itself, that story is a testimony that carries weight. Man, I've been in church, and people say, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have a, my story is, uh, you know, it's just made to go to church and, you know. Parents say, well, if you want to live here, you're going to go. Or you can find another place to live. And you're like, no, okay, I guess I'm going to go. You know. And you go through your life and all these things. And then the worst part in church is this, is when God does something to you. He restores, he redeems, he heals. It's like sometimes we neglect that, which, which, that, 
which God has done. And we say, oh, that's in the past. It's in the past. It's in the past. It may be in the past, but you're standing in a victory for what God's done from the past. And so we often ignore or diminish the power or the work of God because we don't have enough security in how it, it portrays us in a picture to other people. Well, yeah, I was doing this, I was doing that, I was doing this and that, and you might not say, it might not sound good to you. It may paint you in a picture that you're embarrassed of, but if you keep going with the story, you say, but where I am today, I'm grateful because God is my king, he is my Lord, he's redeemed me from anxiety and stress and issues that I've dealt with. I am not perfect, I'm not completely there, but where I am today, it's by the grace of God. And there's power in expression of the testimony. So to expand the tense is more than just you helping other people. It's when you help other people, you yourself are refreshed and refined by God. Somebody say, what's the process of discipleship? You serving God, you chasing God. That's, that's discipleship, you chasing God and other people coming along beside you and that you chasing God together. It is not finding one person to sit under and finding perfection in, in one person's teaching. This is what guides and directs us through the Holy Spirit. It leads us and guides us through all seasons of life. The third and final foundational thing is this. When you realize, when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you are committed to expanding the kingdom of God, the third and final foundational truth is when you realize that the kingdom of God is within you, is within you, and you begin to live by faith in all areas of your life. Trusting God in every area of your life. Seeking after him. Learning and meditating on the word. Praying in the morning, in the evening. Praying for over meals, over your children, over your marriage. Recognizing the need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Listening to the Holy Spirit. Um, become, it leads you to a place to become more like Christ. The more I know God, the more I desire to make him known. I said, I really believe this on my heart that we're people of movement, movement. The only time you stop moving is, is when you stop following. Like, I, I, I know my God, like, he doesn't just stand there and just be like, well, you're happy where you are, aren't you? You know, don't move. Everything's great. Stay right there. Sprinkle blessing on you. Don't move. Don't do anything. Everything's great. I said, that's not God. God leads us into new seasons. And in the process, as he leads us, he refines us. That's why one of our core values is we're made to move. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And in following Jesus, I want to address this as the, idea, as the dynamic of how kingdom-minded people function. Many of you have um, heard the word faith. In our culture, faith is used by um, secular society. It's used by people that... Um, believe in the sky, um, that believe in trees. I'm not kidding. And, and they'll say things like, you just have to have faith. And it sounds spiritual. It sounds right. You're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Have faith. The problem is faith in who and in what? We have faith in Jesus, in who he is, in who he claimed to be, and not only who he claimed to be, but what he did on the cross and what he did three days later in being raised to life. Our faith and our hope and our trust is in the finished work of Jesus. That is our faith. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that, that we actually 
we operate in such a way where we, we live and walk by faith, not by what we see. There's this other F word um, that, um, I, I don't know if I should have said that. That was probably inappropriate. This um, feelings, feelings, feelings. So emotional. Do you have emotional people around you? Don't raise your hand. You stand next to your spouse or something. Uh, like, yes. You know. Emotions are great. Emotions are great. They're great. They're given to us by God. And don't listen. Don't, don't be condemned by your humanity. God's given us emotions and feelings, and they're good, and, and we should acknowledge them, but I think we need to have them in the proper perspective. We are people of faith, to walk by faith. The scriptures don't say, I want you to walk by feeling. <laughs> we live in a culture today that's teaching people to walk by feeling. Whatever, whatever you feel, whatever, like, whatever, whatever you feel whatever your heart tells you to do, which is really problematic since Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above everything else. You're like, yeah, don't tell people that. Like, you know, it's, it's not a good directional, you know, navigation for your, for your life. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust yourself. Trust in Jesus and what he says in the written word of God. I, once, um, I had this uh, race truck growing up. I can't believe my father let me buy it. I was in high school and um, it was this little tiny I don't even know if I told him I bought it, actually. And um, it was this little Ranger, and someone put this really big engine in it, and it was, like, obnoxiously fast. And I got it my senior year, and I was into cars, building motors, and I don't know. It was just one of those seasons. I enjoyed it. And um, it was my very first truck, and I had other things after that. But this one was white when I got it, and I, and I had, had the great idea to paint it bright orange. I don't know why. It was obnoxious. The police saw it everywhere I went. And, um, but it was really loud. It had all these switches in it. It had like, you know, the fuel pump switch and the water pump switch and all these different things. And uh, I remember like caught on fire on the way to school one time. Remember that past Katie? She was in the passenger seat freaking out. I'm like, shut up. It's fine. We're trying to put out the fire on the passenger seat. Just ran into school crying. I said, don't ever ride with me again. Take the bus, you know. And, uh, but I remember um, one thing about that truck, and I still have fond memories of it, but one thing about it, it just wasn't reliable. There's nothing reliable about it. Like, it just, get in there sometimes, and it'd be like, all right, it's not going to start. Hey, Dad, you drive me? He's like, I don't understand. You bought a car. It doesn't run. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It runs when it wants to, and when it does, it's great. Uh, but it just wasn't reliable. I, I don't know. I, I, in this season of my life, reliability is something that I need and that I depend on greatly. And I've learned through my own mistakes that placing my trust and my hope in things of this world, are, they just don't last. They just, they're not reliable. The thing that is reliable in the person who is, is found in this word of God, and his name is Jesus. 100% reliable. You can count on them every time. Feelings are not reliable. <laughs> they're not trustworthy. Proverbs 3, 5, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding. You cannot always trust your feelings. Feelings are great, but they'll lead you to a place that you never wanted to be. And I'll just say practically, like, we all say this, like, amen, preach, that's good. That is really good. Oh, I, I believe that. But let me tell you how subtle this is in our life. And I wrote down issues that I have had, have, ongoing, that I need to take captive immediately when they transpire. Feelings of insecurity 
can lead me into isolating myself outside of relationships, relationships that I need to be continually refined by God. But because of my insecurity, I won't be in those relationships because I feel less than. Feelings will lead me to go shopping when I have no money in the bank. <laughs> like, oh, this is too practical. No, it's not. Because it'll lead me to a place of financial, financial destruction because I'm listening to my feelings and not being wise and a good steward to the Word of God. It may be too practical to clap about, but it'll lead you and teach you things. Feelings will... Now, this is one that I love. I think it's funny, but it's, it, it's messed me up in the past. Feelings and emotions to just eat whatever I want, whenever I want, because it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Um, it's all good. I'm going to heaven. I used to make as many excuses as I could, but can I tell you something? My body became um, victim of my emotional feelings and my choices. Ah, I'm just going to eat What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that there's a call of God on your life, and you should run the race so that you can finish it well. That'll lead you to a place where your body is not healthy. And we don't talk about it enough, but we need to make better decisions than that. We don't allow feelings to determine what we do in our behaviors of, of food. And too many times in the church, we just don't even talk about that. But that'll take you to a place where you find yourself with health problems down the road because feelings navigated you there. And feelings are one of those things that they don't care about anything else other than being satisfied. That's it. Doesn't care the consequences doesn't care. And can I just say this? All of us do this. All of us. There's not one person in this room or one person watching online. They're like, well, he's not talking to me because I'm like, I got them all wrapped up. No, you don't. It's all a process before God. It's all an ongoing thing. Feelings will lead you out of anxiety and fear and stress to just watch TV nonstop, Netflix, whatever. You just watch it. But you should be doing work. You should be spending time in prayer. You should be reading. Feelings will lead you into screaming at your children because they don't listen and you're filled with anger and rage and you want them to stop and the only way you want them to stop is if you start screaming like a maniac, which makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because they're acting like crazy people and you're going to scream like a crazy person to get the crazy people to stop. And then you do it and you're, you feel satisfied because you're like, oh, I've got all that anger out. But then you just demonstrated an example that doesn't reflect the father that you want to be. But my feelings have led me to a place to do that. And even in times of my marriage, my feelings and my emotions have led me to say and do things to my bride whom I love that I regret saying and doing, but my emotions and my feelings lead me to places I don't want to go. That's why we need to be wise in knowing that we're people of faith, not people of feelings. That God gives us what he promises us when we obey his word. He will fill our soul. He will fill our desires, but not in a way that, he th that, we, think he that we think he will. He does it in a unique way. He does it in a divine way. He does it in a spiritual way. He doesn't fulfill you through the satisfaction of filling, gratifying your flesh. It's denying it, surrendering it to God, and trusting that he knows best. Saying, God, I choose to honor you in this. And there's nothing more challenging than reading what the Apostle Paul writes when he says, take every thought captive, every thought captive. And um, I'll be at times, um, and I, I'll be honest, I, many of you know I have four children and, and they're young. And this has been a big challenge for me in my season um, to be a good example to them um, when they're crazy. Like, uh, 
my wife is the best. She helps me a ton. And, and she's like, hey, let's read this together, this book. And let's read this book about God-honoring parents. And, you know, don't be loud. And, like, you know, and how you address. And I, it's hard for me. It's not easy. Like, it doesn't come natural. Like, for me, my response is like, get over here, you know. And, like, psh, psh, you know, and knock it off and figure it out. And we're going to keep going forward. And there's something in me that's being stretched and challenged. That's just one area of my life. And I know that's true in your life, that God challenges you and stretches you in areas of your life. And I really believe when the Apostle Paul writes, take every thought captive, he understands this, that your flesh and your feelings will fight to take control of everything you do in your life every day. Will fight to control it. Say, no, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, just do that. Just do this. It doesn't matter. Just do it. No, it does matter. We're not people of feelings. We're people of faith. And we need to take those thoughts captive and say, no, that's not who I am in the eyes of God. I am loved. I am dearly loved. I am highly favored. I am called. I am set apart. I am chosen. And unless you know who you are in the eyes of God, you'll never see yourself in the family. How do you see this? Like, how do you see this? Like what we're doing, this. How do you see it? If I came up to you and I said, what is this? This gathering. What is it? What is the body of Christ? What is it to you? And I really believe your response to that determines your involvement in it. Because how you see it will determine how you respond to it. And if some of you look at it and it's like, well, look, it's a place where I, you know, I feel crappy all week. And then I come and on Sunday I'm like, woo, this is great. And I go out and I'm like, this is good. And it's a transactional thing. It's just a quick fill up and I feel good. And then I go and then... And I just do whatever I want. And then I come back and I'm like, oh, God, forgive me. And oh, that was so good. Made me feel so right. Your involvement with it will be very shallow in its understanding of what you've been called to be part of. We are God's children, sons and daughters, the most high ambassadors of Christ. And for many of us, we need to keep our emotions and our feelings in check. We need to stand tall and we need to recognize that Jesus himself said, listen, this is you want to be disciples. I love this when he says it because he just squashes this idea of works. He says, you want, you want to be um, known to everyone that you're my disciples? I'm like, yeah, we want to be known as disciples. What do we do? This mind-boggling statement. Love one another. Now, I don't know about you, but like in a big family, that's a feat. Like, well, listen, I can love first, third, and sixth kid, but like the other ones in between, like, Jesus, how about I just, let's start with just these three and then we'll work our way down, you know? He's like, no, 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 love one another in your differences, in your uniqueness, in your insecurities, in your brokenness. See, this is what God does in family. God doesn't call us together as a family and say, pretend you have no problems. And then if you pretend hard enough, they'll all just go away. (laughs) Where does it say that in scripture? It says, come together as a family. Do life together. Understand that we we all have broken areas in our life that God's trying to piece together. You're not weird. You're just like everyone else. And your uniquenesses and your differences are all part of the body. And we are one body and we need one another. It's, you know, when that's why when sometimes when people, when people go or they choose to be in different places, like, man, one of the first things I realized when God called me to this is I have no right to tell people how to do life. But I proclaim to them the word of God and allow them to choose. 
And so they get to choose. And sometimes in the process of family, there's emotions and there's tears. And that's why the word of God says, we rejoice with those who are rejoicing and we mourn with those who are mourning. We don't rejoice with those who are rejoicing and those who are mourning. We're like, get over yourself. And when you're done mourning, come over here and we're going to rejoice. No. He says, in all of our differences, in all of our struggles, we don't separate ourselves to find other people who are more like us. He calls us from all different parts of life, all different areas of life. In different seasons, in different age groups, in different dynamics, he calls us together and refines us as a family. That's why I love this house. My grandparents all through this house. I love it. We need them. We need grandparents to speak into the lives of young mothers and young fathers. We need the young families to have a precedent of an example to those who are not, have not begun their families yet. We need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers for those who don't have biological fathers and mothers. We need one another. I want to close with this passage of scripture found in 1 Corinthians. I remember early on when, when people used to say, oh, well, pastor, how do you staff the people in your church? And um, I'm not saying our way is the best way or it's the right way. I'm just, it's with family. You know, like we, We've never taken a resume from people outside the church. And people say, well, isn't that weird? No, not for us, because this is a family thing. Um, and people say, oh, an Eisenhart family thing? No, 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 a spiritual family thing. Those who are committed to the vision of this house and who are part of the spiritual family of God. Um, and it's just something special about it, what God does around that. And I remember in talking with some, uh, another pastor, and I said to him, I said, you know, there's something special about an individual who's been part of a team, sports team, um, who's been on a team. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I prefer to allow volunteer team leaders and members join staff who have been part of sports teams. And they said, well, why, 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 why is that a, a prerequisite to you? And I said, I don't know if it's as much as a prerequisite, but I, it's preferred. And the reason being is because they understand that it's not about them. That we work and we strive to do the best that we can do so that all of us can win together. And that when one fails, we all fail. And that when one wins, we all win. They understand that refinement and hard work is part of the process of excellence and honor to God. They understand that, that though we strive after perfection it'll never be achieved and so we don't live in self-condemnation but we live in understanding who we are in the eyes of God they understand that correction is part of the process so that I can be better and I can add to the dynamic of the team it's not a picking on you or because I don't like you it's calling out the best in you there's something in understanding what it means to be part of a team and then I read what the apostle Paul writes in first Corinthians chapter 12 I want you to listen to this as we close he says but in fact God has placed the parts in the body who plays the parts in the body? God. We spend more time trying to figure out where we fit and where other people fit. God places the parts in the body. You just got to recognize you've been called to it and say, God, whatever it takes, I'm available, God. Here I am. Just use me. Every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment at all. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you play a part in it. Some of you are sitting on the sideline, being spectators of what God's doing in this environment. And I don't blame you. I've been there and there's seasons in my life where I've watched it and I'm not confessing to understand it all. All I know is, is that when God calls us, he doesn't call a portion of us. He doesn't call a piece of us. He doesn't call a season of us. He calls all of us for every season with everything that he's gifted us, with everything that he's given us. We need one another. Why? Because I truly believe this with all my heart. Not only are we better together, but we're called together as a family.